one of the biggest winter storms or disappointments on record. This is Way Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, I know you love winter. You've got to be excited. I would say to the point of being almost unhealthy, Jim. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, this storm has had my attention now since Wednesday or Thursday. And honestly, the way it looks now is the way it looks. It was the way that it looked then. <laughs> so I've had four, maybe five days to think about a storm producing, you know, one to two feet of snow. Uh, over a big area in Minnesota. So that's been, uh, yeah, it's, I've been excited and I've also been uh, restless at night. Yes. Well, if it's any indication as you skim the headlines and scroll through your online media, uh, the obsession with this storm seems to be widely shared right now uh, with the media and with uh, folks who are reading and looking at it, consuming the media. So maybe let's start, Kenny, before we delve into the specifics here, sort of the uh, executive summary of uh, things to come, the preview of coming attractions. Sure. Great. So uh, first of all, folks in northern Minnesota will probably uh, feel a little bit left out by this storm, especially north of Duluth, but they got some bonus snows on Monday, February 20th, and several inches of snow in a lot of areas. So that's uh, something that they'll kind of one difference is this isn't really a Northern Minnesota affair. I mean, parts of that, you know, Northeast will definitely get in on this main event. Uh, but what we're really looking at is for central and Southern Minnesota, kind of a two headed monster. And honestly, if you look really closely, it's almost three heads, but we'll just, we'll keep it simple. Call it two. You've got kind of a Tuesday afternoon into Wednesday affair, which is going to produce kind of a wide area of accumulating snow and a very narrow area of heavy snow. And uh, that, you know, could produce up to a foot, maybe even over a foot in that narrow corridor. But think of an area from, you know, St. Cloud down to the Iowa border and pretty much that, you know, the whole southern half of the state or so getting a few to several inches over a 12 to 18 hour period. That's kind of phase one. Then we get a lull, not necessarily a break. And then phase two kicks in Wednesday night into Thursday. And this is where, this is where the storm is going to go crazy and where the potential is there, you know, just an 18 hour, maybe 24 hour period where a snowfall of 12 to 24 inches uh, additionally would be possible. Uh, you know, I know people like to hear that high end, but again, 12 to 24 inches uh, in that second phase. So a very heavy snowfall event uh, after kind of a, a more general one on Tuesday into Wednesday. And so with when all is said and done, you're looking at uh, storm totals of one to two feet and some higher amounts, almost certain. And uh, a lot of wind also, uh, Wednesday night into Thursday. So we're going to have these gigantic house size drifts. So there's your executive summary. It's going to be a blizzard in some part of, you know, in parts of open country. And it, for all we know, the blizzard conditions might make it into, or at least near the twin cities. Uh, kind of depends on how the heavy snow and the winds all align, but yeah, big, big storm 
Uh, lots of different ways to kick it off. You could call it, you know, one of the biggest storms in history. Uh, it certainly, if it if the forecasts pan out, it would it would make it into the top four or so in Twin Cities history, with it always having a shot at you know number one. But that's it's hard to do that. And again, this is mostly going to be in the central and southern parts of Minnesota, although parts of northeastern Minnesota will get included too. Well, Kenny, as you said, you have been watching this uh, for several days, starting last week, Wednesday or Thursday, and we've heard uh, in the media people saying, boy, the models have been consistent, the models have come together. We hear the word consistent uh, very, very often. So we have the level of consistency with the models, but yet there remains a certain level of uncertainty as well. So why is that? We're certain, but yet we're uncertain. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, go too deep into the answer because uh, who's got an appetite for all the science, all the nuances (laughs) of scientific uncertainty, but this level of agreement in the models is kind of something none of us have ever seen before. I mean, honestly, so there's three main models. Uh, there's a, a global forecast systems model or GFS, which is produced here in the U.S. There's a Canadian model, and then there's this infamous or famous Euro model. And these three models also have what are called members, or they're, they also have kind of parallel ensembles, which are like little kind of miniature alternate universe versions of each of the models. And and there might be, you know, for the GFS uh, there's about 20 of those individual kind of alternate versions that are run as an ensemble. And I don't know the exact number for the Canadian and the European models, but between the main models and the ensembles, we have never seen harmony like this in terms of the big picture, you know, in terms of there's like, they have been in almost lockstep agreement that there's going to be heavy snow of a foot or more over central and Southern Minnesota with extraordinary little variation either from run to run or from one model to the next. And that's just something, you know, this has been the case for several days now, and we're just not used to that. Usually you got one model showing a storm hitting us hard and you got another model showing us getting missed or getting gets kind of brushed and, and they'll kind of maybe even change roles as, as a storm gets closer and as frustrating as it is to have that inconsistency, we've kind of learned how to live with it. And it helps us understand that, you know, there are alternate scenarios to what any one of these models is actually indicating. And that's important because, you know, we've sort of outsourced the meteorology, the really hard stuff. We've outsourced it to these models and we need, <laughs> we'd like, uh, we'd like options, right? We don't want to just have one. And so, as wonderful as it is that all of these models are now agreeing with each other, uh, it increases the confidence to levels that I've just never seen with the, for, the official forecast from the Weather Service. The, the problem is there's no alternative scenario being proposed yet. Uh, and some of the uncertainty that remains is that, okay, so let's say we're pretty confident that there's going to be a foot or more snow over the southern half or two-thirds of Minnesota, which is a really wide swath. Uh, 
But we're also pretty confident that somewhere in there, there's going to be two feet of snow or at least 20 inches of snow or more. Uh, we're not exactly sure where that would be. And, you know, even though a foot is a huge amount of snow and two feet is even, um, can I say huger? <laughs> even huger. Uh, that's actually a really consequential difference in terms of snow load, in terms of clearing the roads. And we don't really know exactly where that's going to be. So that's a kind of certainty we don't have. And it's kind of worth just letting folks know that those three models and all those ensembles that are named, think of those as like, those are big picture models. It, Jim, have you ever been in a discussion with someone, maybe with a couple people, where one person just generalizes and they only see really big picture issues and they only connect really big items together and it and you kind of think oh, if only this person would understand that the world isn't that isn't that uh simple if do you have any people you know like that oh, oh yeah i can think of some discussions like that absolutely yeah right so that's kind of how these main models that we use especially when we're a week away from a storm and really up to about two days away those are the main models that we use for that information they're, they're really good at assembling the big meteorological picture because they can bring in winds from all over the world and moisture and 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 they're really good with generalizing the heat transfer and, and putting all these mechanisms together and turning it into weather now think on the other hand if you might have any friends who overanalyze and they're just obsessed with, you know, minute details and they will not let them go. And <laughs> you, you haven't, you know, anyone like that? I do indeed, Kenny. Sometimes it might even be me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Guilty sure. of we, that. We, yes. All, yeah. We've all done this. Well, so there's a whole other group of models. We call them high res or high resolution models. And these actually can... Uh, resolve some of the physics in the atmosphere explicitly, meaning they can actually crunch through the hardcore uh, fluid mechanical equations that have that are really based on differential equations that are almost impossible to solve. They can crunch through these, uh, whereas the the larger kind of more generalized models have to use estimators to kind of substitute for those equations, and that becomes a source of their own uncertainty. So just like sometimes your hyper-analytical friend probably is onto something, they get things right, right? These little models pull out details and they can get things right, but they could also be accused of missing the bigger picture. And so the handoff between these two, we're kind of entering the phase where this big storm uh, is now going to start getting handled by the higher resolution models. And we know that's going to mean some details then look that, the, that look a little bit different from what we were seeing as the uh, when the storm was just being handled by the big generalized big picture model. So those are kind of your sources of uncertainty. We, we've had a tremendous amount of agreement in the models, but even inside that agreement, we still don't know exactly where that very heaviest snow is going to be, whether we're talking about the first phase on Tuesday into Wednesday, or kind of with that main boot when it comes out uh, Wednesday night into Thursday. And it's going to, you know, it's going to spell the difference between getting, you know, some places in that heavy snow region, getting, you know, 12 to 18 inches of snow or getting 18 to 24 inches of snow, or maybe even getting more than that. 
Well, Kenny, uh, we see in the media people talking about this storm, framing it as a monster storm. And it certainly looks that way, both on a scale and intensity basis. So we're talking about a storm here that's going to impact a huge geographical area, is going to be incredibly strong as well. Is it unusual to see such a powerful storm impacting such a geographically large part of the country? Uh, in short, yeah, it is. Uh, th- you know, w- this is the Midwest where we do get our winter storms and we, you know, getting, it's not that unusual to get a snowstorm that produces well over a foot of snow somewhere. Uh, but what we're seeing is just kind of otherworldly for our region. Now we did have a really big geographic footprint for the one foot snowfall totals uh, that we had in mid-December, where basically no- north of the Twin Cities, so it's kind of the northern half of Minnesota, got uh, a foot of snow or more. And that included, that went west through all of North Dakota and into Montana and into you know parts of uh, upper Michigan and Wisconsin too. Uh, so that was also an unusually large footprint. Usually, you know, usually with these storms, if you're going to get a foot of snow, the area that that gets that much snow is maybe 50 or 75 miles wide. It might be a hundred or 200 or hundreds of miles long, but they're usually fairly narrow. Uh, they're not often 200, 250 miles wide. And then also extending a thousand miles. This one looks like the, the footprint of one foot snowfall is going to go from Montana through almost all of Wyoming, all of South Dakota, the southern half or so of Minnesota, most of Wisconsin. It's going to clip the northern part of lower Michigan, all of upper Michigan. It's going to go through the Great Lakes, through Ontario, and then reach to Maine. That puts it at over 2,000 miles long and, you know, again, a few hundred miles wide. It's just a, it's not something that we have seen. I mean, I could, I could think of a few cases of historic winter storms and probably not the ones you're thinking of where their, their footprint was, was this big. This one is, um, the, the one rival I can think of was from the Thanksgiving weekend of 1985, which is, I don't expect most people to remember, but that was a large four day snowstorm that dropped 10 to 25 inches of snow over most of Minnesota. I mean, honestly, it was a huge storm. Uh, and it did it in multiple waves and it affected parts of other parts of the region too. Roads were shut down all over the place. Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. I think the Dakotas also. Uh, so there, it's not the only time this has happened, but this might be among the very biggest heavy, heavy storms on record. And you know, there's a, there's a physical explanation for it too. It's not just you know like a random convulsion. It's actually it has there's a reason it's this big. Well, another thing that's going to characterize this storm, along with just the intensity of the snowfall, is going to be the winds, which will really start to pick up on Wednesday night. And and let's talk about what's causing that. Obviously, we hear a strong pressure gradient uh, causes winds to get intense. We also have a phenomenon here where the polar and the subtropical jets 
are phasing with each other. Uh, that's going to start early Thursday morning. And uh, I noticed the National Weather Service in its forecast discussion says that is something you want to see if you want active weather. What exactly is happening when those two jet streams phase with each other? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's almost like a movie script where you get like one one subtropical forest from the south with all of its moisture and another wacky one, you know, coming from the northwest <laughs> with all of its cold and dry air. Well, when they get together, mayhem happens. And, you know, it's it's true. Um, and that's exactly what it is. And And your question actually gets at sort of the mechanism I dangled out there with my last answer, which is that, okay, so we have this enormous storm. And one of the reasons it's going to be so big is because of the, the upper atmospheric mechanism that's actually helping to create it. You've heard the term trough. Everyone's heard about troughs and ridges. And if you can ever picture you've seen like a map of the jet stream or a map of the winds aloft and you see these like U-shaped features that kind of undulate and move across the, the map. Uh, that you know they they dip down and cover uh, several states at a time. Uh, that's a trough, and this particular trough it has a couple things going for it. One, it is very sharp, meaning the air moving around it has to make pretty tight turns. We call these digging troughs, and when the air moves around digging troughs at those tight angles, uh, it has to conserve momentum according to the uh, laws of conservation of angular momentum. And the wind has these changes in speed and direction as a result. And that can really help blossom a intense surface cyclone beneath it. So that's one thing. you got a nice, strong digging trough that's kind of laying the groundwork for a strong surface cyclone to form. The other thing is, is this trough digs out into... It's like New Mexico, the the territory ahead of it, all the way to the east coast, is what we what you would call wide open. You know, it's there's no other weather disturbance sitting in its way, and so this trough can just sort of consume with the the low pressure system that forms beneath it, basically almost everything to the east coast, certainly to the Appalachians. So what you're going to have is you're going to have a low pressure that forms and has this massive circulation that extends basically from the Rockies all the way to the East Coast. And that's counterclockwise circulation around that low. And then above it to the north, you've got high pressure uh, kind of coming in with cold air. And it's that gradient between those two that is going to produce these strong winds. But the first key here is that it's over a huge area. <laughs> I mean, so so snow is going to break out along that entire boundary, basically from Montana to the East Coast. It's going to be one of the largest precipitation bands that you, <laughs> you'll have seen during the wintertime. And also, that whole band is going to be occupying an area of very tight pressure gradient. Incidentally, you know, we talk about pressure and pressure gradients and the, the lowest pressure of this storm is actually not going to be that remarkable. This isn't like, 
you know, uh, the deepest cyclone on record by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's, it's really just going to hover around the category, around the threshold of what we consider to be a strong cyclone, just based solely on its central pressure. It's going to be around 988, maybe 986 millibars, which is respectable. But, you know, it's really not until you get into the 960s that you start looking at things that are, are really rare. But because of the huge expanse of its circulation and the, the also large area of high pressure moving in from the north, you're going to have this very wide area with a tight pressure gradient. And that's going to stir up these very strong winds, first out of the northeast on uh, Wednesday night and Thursday morning, and then shifting to the northwest. These are going to be strong winds. They're not going to be you know, the strongest winds we've ever seen because, again, that that cyclone is only so strong at its central pressure, but it has a nice strong gradient that's going to drive these winds. So in open areas, gusts of 40 to 50 miles an hour should be pretty common. I think even in the Twin Cities, we'll have gusts over 40 miles an hour. And with the snow falling as hard as it's going to be falling and the rel relatively light nature to the snow because it's going to be kind of cold, it's going to drift and blow pretty harshly and we're going to end up with these gigantic snow drifts open areas jim i can't i can't even fathom i imagine in open areas we're going to see snow drifts the size of houses and so you know those places that have a good solid open fetch where the wind just can blow across the fields unabated when the snow starts you know blowing over some obstacle it'll then settle down and you're going to find these just gigantic you know 10 15 even 20 foot drifts uh, in some areas so yeah quite a blowing snow hazard here jim so this storm is going to have a variety of impacts but certainly uh the possibility of extremely poor travel conditions or travel conditions that uh, may be impossible in some places, especially as the wind kicks up here. So a lot to watch for over the next several days. And again, uh, this storm, as we said before, it's geographically huge, it's very intense, and it is of a long duration as well. So, uh, you know, once this thing gets going, uh, we're going to be getting it for, what, 72 hours probably with the, the lull you mentioned, which won't be a complete cessation of snow on Wednesday. It'll just be kind of a decrease in the intensity, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, some areas might actually get a, a full break on Wednesday, but uh, it looks more like, you know, especially the area right around wherever that heaviest band of snow is from Tuesday night into Wednesday, the snow might not ever really stop there. It might just kind of become lighter. Uh, and, and, you know, for most of us, we'll still have flurries and drizzle and snow on and off between these rounds. Uh, yeah, and you're right. It's going to take up parts of three days. I mean, starting on Tuesday, uh, going into Wednesday, starting up again Wednesday evening, Wednesday night, and then going into, if not through, Thursday. So a uh, long duration system. And if I, you know, it's easy to kind of view these things as like a thing, right? And it is a thing. It's a, it's a big weather system. We're going to count all the snow from Tuesday through Thursday for, as one storm, even though there's two different waves. Um, but there are these, there are these kind of moments in there. So I, I don't know if, uh, you know, like if people are planning on canceling all their plans, you know, I would say you could wait on the Tuesday and Wednesday plans because there's a, for a lot of us, Tuesday into Wednesday, it's just going to be kind of a typical, you know, wintry snow with, 
you know, four, five, six inches and nothing that should be causing things to get canceled at that point. Um, especially, you know, given the spirit of Minnesota and we're, we're kind of late in the winter when we've had a lot of these already, we've had our, we've gotten our practice driving. It's that final wave on Thursday where I think a lot of things, if they weren't already canceled, are going to get canceled and shut down. I would expect lots of roads, even interstate highways, to be closed on Thursday because there'd just be no way to keep up with the the combination of the snow intensity and the wind and the very low visibilities. Uh, it, it'll just be too dangerous and too much work for for nothing. You'll clear the snow and then it'll just drift back over the road again. So. Uh, that's kind of where I got my money for the most widespread closures and disruption is on Thursday, you know, basically from midnight Thursday to probably 6 PM or so would be my guess. And that prior to that, there might be small areas where it becomes dangerous or pointless or impossible to travel, but that for most of it, it'll just be more like an inconvenience and again, in northern Minnesota, Tuesday into Wednesday, I don't think anything really is going to happen. Uh, from you know, at Little Falls on south, I think that's kind of where the action will be. And to the north of there, there won't be there won't be much snow until you get into that uh, that Wednesday night Thursday system. Well, it sounds like the best course of action is to stay informed, keep. Uh tuned to your favorite source of weather information. Uh, do some preparation, certainly. Think about any travel that you might have to cancel on Thursday, especially, and have a, a backup plan to that. Uh, but uh, the best advice seems to be to uh, just kind of monitor this, see how it all plays out, and uh, just keep a weather eye on the sky, as they say. Yeah, you won't be able to see that sky too well. So, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a little obscured. Yes. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> well anyway kenny good chatting with you as always everybody stay safe hunker down um enjoy winter and uh we'll have a debrief coming up next week and talk about what could be what a top four winter storm correct indeed yes yeah definitely could be and it, other than and if it's not then it means we blew it <laughs> yes and we'll talk so. about that too we could, so it'll be something to talk about either way. <laughs> we'll, t we'll take our lashes. This is yeah. way over our heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's climatologist. We'll catch you next time.